to the news magazine on the America Out Loud Network. I'm Alana Friedman, and this is The Friedman Report. What is happening today in our country is something we never would have believed possible even a decade ago. There is this whole generation of know-nothing people, most of them under 30, who are trying to pull down the work of giants. Giants who created this nation and built it into a bright light to the world over the last 240 years. These giants, were they imperfect? Of course they were. But in the context of history, they created something so original and so important that most of the rest of the world followed their leadership, which resulted in the end of slavery, the creation of the free market, and the growth of democracy in a world of kings and tyrants. So I'm going to call this first part of my show the woke generation that is the dumbest of them all. We knew we were raising a bunch of know-nothing kids when they couldn't spell or write a complete sentence, and when they couldn't add or subtract without a calculator, and when they came home from school believing that it was wrong to compete because it wasn't fair to the other kids. They never learned that in the real world of grown-ups where they would soon be, fair was not a word they would hear very often, and if they weren't ready to compete, they would lose. But never mind, they learned that all they had to do was show up and they would get a prize. But the big awakening came during the 2016 presidential campaign, when, now in college, these same entitled kids were traumatized by Trump signs on their campus, and they demanded safe spaces so they could hang out only with the people who were just like them. Black students and other students of color didn't want to associate with white students. So we called them snowflakes because they melted in the heat of reality. But making fun of them didn't help much because what black students were doing was resegregating themselves, seeking out the company of other black students and avoiding contact with white students. And in one strong statement, they negated, or in their words, they canceled all the hard work, the perseverance, the humiliation, and the danger that their parents and grandparents had endured to desegregate this country for them, their children, and their grandchildren. This, my friends, is the woke generation. The one that never studied grammar, hence the term woke, which isn't a word in proper English. And they never studied history that wasn't illegitimately altered to fit a political or ideological narrative. And they never studied classical literature or civics. And they haven't a clue about the brave men and women who sacrificed everything in order to help give them all the trappings of the good life that they have enjoyed, but they are now rioting against and destroying. They view our history in America through the prism of 21st century eyes. So they don't understand that the founders of this country didn't have the benefit of instant communication or easy travel or a history of freedom that was 240 years old. Their wokeness 
does not allow them to consider the differences between the conditions under which our forefathers lived in the 18th and 19th centuries or what they believed back then that was shaped by their perspective of their history and the hardships of their times. But these 21st century demonstrators don't have the time, and frankly, they don't care to think about how far we've come from those days when slavery was acceptable to many, to now where our perspective is shaped by 158 years of freedom from slavery when our current understanding of humanity forbids the evil of slavery. They can't even acknowledge that the institution of slavery has not existed in this country for 158 years, and that America was a world leader in abolishing it. That was a huge progress in a world which still supports slavery in some places. But that isn't enough for this entitled generation, this woke generation, who thinks that freedom is the same as license. And they give no thought to destroying the property of others or the products of someone else's lifetime of work in order to make their point. They're determined to destroy our history as if it never existed because it was, they say, too painful, too humiliating, too evil. They refused to learn, for example, the lessons of the Holocaust, the murder of 12 million people, including 6 million Jews. Hell, too many of them don't even know about the Holocaust, that it even happened. And that was less than 100 years ago. So they never learned how important it is to remember that evil so that we never let it happen again. So they don't want to know about the Holocaust. They don't care. But they remember the slavery that happened two centuries ago, and they want revenge and restitution, and they want to cancel our history. They refuse to understand the power that that history has for us, that it reminds us and teaches us that the evil of slavery that was once practiced here, even by the leaders of our country and many others, lived alongside the goodness in our country. And that despite the evil that it represented, our history also reminds us that we can overcome and destroy the evil that governs our lives and then move on to create new realities for all of us. This is what America is supposed to be about. Just as that spirit of liberty demanded, no, required the freedom for all people. It is the knowledge of what that spirit of liberty means that enabled us to break the chains of slavery in September 1862. And the evil that is part of our history reminds us that slavery of any kind is evil. It's evil of the worst kind, and we must never go that way again. But these demonstrators and rioters and looters and destroyers, they're not interested in listening. So they tear down statues commemorating not only the heroes of our wars and the builders of our nation, including George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and Andrew Jackson, because they owned slaves. And when they cancel the memory of these slave owners, as they call them, they are also canceling all the good that they did. What they did to make this country so unique and so great, so that people like them, would have the opportunity to speak out freely 
without fear to demonstrate and petition their government for redress when they felt it was warranted. They also destroy and desecrate the statues of people like Colonel Hans Christian Hegg, someone they never heard of, who was an immigrant from Norway who died fighting for the Union against slavery. And what about the monument on the Boston Common that was desecrated? That monument was dedicated to the 54th Massachusetts Regiment, the second all-black volunteer regiment from the North during the Civil War. And in Minnesota, they defaced a monument that was dedicated to three black men, three black men who were lynched in 1920 after they were falsely accused of raping a white woman. Then ask any of them, who is Paul Harris, whose monument was defaced with the words, he probably was a racist, only he wasn't. He was the founder of Rotary International, an extraordinary international service club founded in Chicago, whose members have given countless weeks and years in service to communities of color around the world, who led the program to wipe out polio for everybody, who provide opportunity to people of color in every continent, who continue to volunteer their time and professional skills to volunteer their time and their professional skills to repair the stigma of disfiguring cleft palates in children, and who travel to the ends of the earth to bring clean water to their families. That was Paul Harris. He wasn't a racist. He wasn't close to being a racist, but he was white. So I guess that was his crime. In other words, these uneducated products of the American educational system are destroying works of art representing people who died for the same things they claim to be fighting for, freedom and equality under the law. And they justified the destruction by saying, hmm, they probably were racist. It is the ignorance of these spoiled Americans who destroy what they do not understand for the pleasure of destroying and desecrating what is of value to others, even though they don't know what they're destroying or why they are doing it. Destroying the symbols of history is what the Taliban did in Afghanistan. It's what ISIS did in Iraq. And it's what our own children are doing right here in America. Which gets me to the real point. We, who willingly and mindlessly sent our children to schools that failed to give them even the basics of a real education, that failed to teach them to think critically and to question dogma, that reinvented indoctrination and called it education, that fed them a diet of fake education in order to mold their minds to accept radical social change. We their parents, their grandparents. We sowed the winds of ignorance and we are now reaping the whirlwind of destruction at the hands of our own children. So now it is up to us to fix this mess that we've made. These young demonstrators and vandals are useful dupes following blindly the instructions of anarchists and Marxists who are intent on destroying America. They think they are marching for justice and equality when, in truth, they are the puppets marching for anarchists and Marxists and socialists 
who are pulling the strings. This is hardly a grassroots effort, as I've said many times before, although it is meant to look like one. Black Lives Matter is heavily funded by anarchist billionaire George Soros's Open Society Foundations, which has pledged $300 million to Black Lives Matter's organizations. And not to be outdone, the Ford Foundation has also pledged $100 million to Black Lives organizations, and the Black Lives Matter Global Network spent millions on consultants, travel, and compensation for its staff over a three-year period and is now planning to raise millions more to fund its activities. These people whose ideology demands the destruction of America as we know it are now further corrupting the minds of our children, who are now young adults, and using them as useful tools to further their own malicious agenda. Are we okay with that? Hell no! And it's high time we decide what kind of America we want our nation to be before it's too late. So I've raised a lot of issues here, and we need to think about them because the demonstrations and the riots, they're far from over, and they may be coming to a neighborhood near you in the not-too-distant future. And isn't it interesting that when you look at the videos of the demonstrations, that most of the people marching in the street for Black Lives Matter are white? What is that about? Are the puppeteers playing on their guilt and their lack of knowledge and their inability to mount a coherent argument? You bet they are. So when they appear at the rallying point and carry their signs and shout their slogans and haven't any idea what the real issues are, what do you think is happening to them? They think they're marching for equal rights and opportunity and fairness for black Americans. But in reality, it's the money people behind the curtain, the Marxists, the anarchists, and the socialists who are using them to build an army for insurrection and anarchy in a war against America. This is not an easy time to be fighting an insurrection, my friends. With the coronavirus raging throughout our communities and the lockdowns and the reopenings and then more lockdowns as the virus spikes, what are we to do? Some of us have lost family members and friends to this wicked virus, and some of us have been sick ourselves. And there are some of us who say, this is not going to interfere with our lives. And they continue to travel, to eat out, to visit with friends. And maybe they contribute to the problem and maybe they don't. I have no idea. But I do believe that in this United States of America, we are supposed to be free to make our own choices, to determine the paths we take. And I believe that if we're smart enough to take the interests of our children, our parents, and our friends and neighbors to heart, those choices should be our own to make. We know the rules. We know how to protect ourselves. And we are, most of us, adults. That is what a free society is all about. Did you see the president at Mount Rushmore on July 3rd? I thought his speech was excellent. But the criticism that he got for it was very interesting. Nearly every liberal media outlet called it dark. Do you think they all got their cues from the same PR firm? Probably. It wouldn't be the first time. 
The president's speech was anything but dark. It was bright and full of hope and promise. It was difficult to tell from the view on television, but it was reported that 7,500 people attended the rally. South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem said that there were no social distancing plans because this was an open-air event. She said, in South Dakota, we've told people to focus on personal responsibility. And we told those folks that have concerns that they can stay home. That sounds fair to me. That is what personal responsibility is all about. And that, my friends, is what America is all about or should be. Now, we have to take a quick break to hear from the good people at America Out Loud. But after the break, I want to talk a little bit about the president's speech on that historic site and about the whole issue of what we are to make of what is going on in our country and what our role should be in this environment. Did you know the average person spends 26 years of their life sleeping? The real troubling statistic is that we spend seven years of our life trying to get to sleep, struggling with racing minds, tossing and turning. If you're one of the millions of Americans who need better quality sleep, the time to change is now. Sleep is proven to extend our lifespan, protect against terrible diseases like cancer, heart disease, and dementia, make us more attractive and thinner, feel calmer and happier, and boost energy levels, memory, and performance. Until now, most sleep supplements haven't worked, but a new easy-to-swallow sleep gel invented by the leading nutrition company Healthy Cell is designed to support all four stages of human sleep to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake up refreshed. It's called REM Sleep. To get a free two-night supply of REM sleep, visit HealthyCell.com sleep. That's HealthyCell.com sleep. AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. As we celebrate our four-year anniversary, thank you for making it all possible. Well, should it news deliver truth and inspire us to reach higher? With blogs, podcasts, video, and 24-7 talk radio on our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. We are the vision of the voices, America Out Loud Talk Radio. I guess you can tell by now, I'm angry. I have a long fuse and I don't get angry often, but what is going on in this country that I love so much is worse than infuriating. Mobs on the street are defacing our cities, destroying cherished monuments, and hurting good people for no reason. And as I've said, these aren't spontaneous acts of frustration and compassion, not even close. They're well-organized programs of anarchy, planned, funded, and implemented by groups that want to destroy the fabric of our republic. And they want to create a monster that they call socialism, a monster that has failed in every country it's been tried. On May 25th, George Floyd was murdered at the hands of a Minneapolis police officer, while three others stood around and watched and didn't interfere. That was nothing less than criminal, and the officers involved were arrested and will be held accountable. But what happened next shattered the peace and has altered the course of American history. 
because what the elected leaders in several blue states did after that, what the governors and mayors of liberal cities across the country did, was even worse. Because they did nothing. And by doing nothing, they facilitated the rioters and the looters. They helped them burn and loot and destroy just as much as if they had been there themselves with sledgehammers and torches, as if they smashed and burned their own cities with their own hands, the cities they had sworn to protect. And here's why what they did was so wrong. Because when you do nothing, it gets worse. When the streets erupted in massive demonstrations and much worse, massive violence that left many innocent business owners out of business because their stores were looted and destroyed, along with their life savings. When that happened in Seattle, when Mayor Jenny Durkin allowed the rioters to establish CHOP as an autonomous zone without police, in fact, she sent the police packing, she said it would be a summer of love. But as she did nothing to stop it, nothing to protect the people who lived and worked in this six-square-block area, who no longer had police protection, when she did nothing, it got worse. It went from rioting and looting to arson to rape and murder. And by the way, this wasn't about race, and these riots, as I have said before, were not spontaneous. They were well-planned by the puppeteers behind Black Lives Matter and Antifa, who were just waiting for an opportunity to send their willing puppets into the street to create mayhem. So what did the mayors of Democrat cities and governors of Democrat states do? The elected officials of states like Minnesota, Washington, Oregon, California, New York, and Illinois refused to stop them. On the June 3rd edition of the Friedman Report, I told you about the connections between the rioters and Antifa, bought and paid for by George Soros' Open Society Foundations and the huge network of organizations that Soros supports. And over the following weeks, I told you about how these organizations were using naive but well-intentioned idealists and the liberal officials they elected in order to undermine and destroy American cities and the symbols of our nation with abandon because the liberal mayors and the governors refused to stop them. They literally got away with murder. But there's more, much more. And it puts our nation in the crosshairs of anti-democracy movements all around the world. And it is changing our history, even as I say these words. America, America is in enormous danger. There's something that most of us are missing. This stopped being about racism almost from the beginning, although the demonstrators and rioters are still talking about it. What this is about is power, and the power behind the demonstrations and riots is real, and the organizations behind them are investing millions into the unrest. But they couldn't do it without the willing acceptance of the uneducated Americans whom we talked about in the beginning of today's program. They don't know anything about America's real history, so it was easy to convince them that white Americans and Republicans have been the evil monsters who have kept black Americans in servitude and prevented them from succeeding.
The self-righteous left has been claiming for a long time that they are the party that has always been fighting for a better, fairer, and brighter future for every American. Really? Let's talk for a minute about the real history of racism in America. Daniel Patrick Moynihan, who was a Democrat, by the way, and advisor to President Lyndon Johnson, who was a Democrat, he once said, quote, You're entitled to your own opinion, but you are not entitled to your own facts, unquote. Of course, today you're not even entitled to your own opinion. But let's not forget who was responsible for the repression of black Americans before and after the Civil War. These, my friends, are the facts. According to History.com and many other sources, the Democrats' history is shameful in its horrendous treatment of black Americans. History.com writes, quote, After the Civil War, the Democrats dominated the South. It, it was opposed to civil and political rights for African Americans. During the Reconstruction era, the Democratic Party solidified its hold on the South. Most white Southerners opposed the measures implemented by Republicans that protected civil and voting rights for African Americans. By the mid-1870s, Southern state legislatures had succeeded in rolling back many of the Republican reforms, and Jim Crow laws enforcing segregation and suppressing black voting rights remained in place for nearly a century. The history of Jim Crow in the South is long and ugly. After the passage of the 13th Amendment, which effectively ended slavery in the United States, the 14th Amendment, which promised citizenship, due process, and equal protection of the law for all Americans, and the 15th Amendment that promised all citizens the right to vote. After all this, the South was still plagued by vicious laws that continued to deprive black Americans of their civil rights. One of the most important things about these amendments is that they were largely ineffective in the South, where black people were quickly disenfranchised and local discriminatory laws, known as Jim Crow laws, were passed as quickly as possible in order to secure the customs of segregation between white and black citizens. The rise of the Ku Klux Klan throughout the South ensured that the combination of local restrictions and KKK's reign of terror would guarantee compliance to the strict separation of the races in the southern states. And here's the most important thing to remember about the South. The Democrats were entrenched in the seats of power in virtually every southern state. The Democrats not only supported the repression of blacks, they were leaders of the Ku Klux Klan. And the disenfranchisement of black citizens was a high priority for Southern Democrats. They didn't want the black citizens to vote, so they imposed poll taxes and literacy tests for would-be black voters. And as elections drew closer, they used voter fraud and downright violence against blacks and Republicans. In the 1898 election, for example, Democrats in Wilmington, North Carolina, called themselves the White Man's Party, accompanied by violence and voter fraud. The Jim Crow laws that came out of this racist environment included making interracial dating and marriage illegal, as well as making the segregation of schools, 
restaurants, theaters, cinemas, hotels, and train stations also segregated. North Carolina even banned the sharing of books between black and white schools. In 1896, the Supreme Court even supported Jim Crow laws in the Plessy v. Ferguson case. In that case, a mixed-race man tested the law that required separate train cars in order to ensure that black and white passengers would be separated when they traveled. This decision solidified the separate but equal standard that allowed segregation to stand as a legal and dehumanizing practice well into the 20th century. And it essentially made Jim Crow legal in any state, north or south, that wished to practice it. And in 1912, Woodrow Wilson, a Democrat, was elected president and became known as the segregationist president. And it was during his term that the KKK made a resurgence and the anti-black movie, Birth of a Nation, was shown all over the country. In the summer of 1919, the country exploded with 39 race riots and over 165 people were killed. Harry Truman, a Democrat from Missouri, tried to make a difference. He refused to join the KKK. And after he became president, he integrated the U.S. military. But the South resented this president from Missouri, and they resisted by forming a new political party that they called the States' Rights Party. It was only in 1954, after the landmark Supreme Court ruled unanimously in Brown v. Board of Education of Topeka, that racial segregation of children in public schools was unconstitutional. The separate but equal doctrine was struck down. But even then, the Democrat Party, led by Virginia's Senator Harry Byrd, coordinated a campaign of massive resistance. Byrd himself had been a high-ranking member of the Klan during the 1940s. He started out as a recruiter for the Klan when he was in his 20s and 30s, and later he became a Klegel and exalted Cyclops, high ranks in his local chapter. He was also a Virginia state senator, then governor, and then United States senator for 32 years. And he led the democratic political machine known as the Byrd Organization for 40 years. He was, in short, a very powerful man. It was people like Byrd who perpetuated Jim Crow in the South for generations. In some southern states, public schools were closed completely rather than allowing black children to attend school there. In Virginia, for example, the General Assembly repealed the compulsory school attendance law and made the operation of public schools a local option for Virginia's counties and cities. In Prince Edward County, when the schools were ordered to be integrated in May 1959, the county instead decided to close its entire public school system. The Prince Edward Foundation created a series of private schools to educate the county's white children, although no provisions were made for the county's black children. This led to the continued segregation of private schools and academies in Virginia, exclusively for white children, and this was legal until 1976. 
The history of the Democrats and their role in creating and maintaining Jim Crow laws for nearly a hundred years is deplorable and one that they continue to deny. But the facts are clear and our history is clear. The Democrats were the party of Jim Crow and the KKK. The Ku Klux Klan was founded in 1865 and within five years, it had established a presence in nearly every Southern state. It was the vehicle for white Southern resistance to the Republican Party's Reconstruction era policies, which supported political and economic equality for black Americans. And through voter suppression and a campaign of fear against blacks and Republicans, by the end of 1876, the entire South was under Democratic control. It was called the Solid South because its political leaders were solidly in favor of the old ways in which black Americans were segregated, denigrated, and humiliated in order to keep the South white and Democrat. And just for the record, it was Abraham Lincoln who issued the Emancipation Proclamation, and he was a Republican. And it was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who rallied and led the highly successful and peaceful civil rights movement in the 1960s and brought the fight for civil rights to Washington, D.C., where, in front of the Lincoln Memorial, he said, Now is the time to lift our nation from the quicksands of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood. Now is the time to make justice a reality for all God's children. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. His message was the message of love and respect and peace between the races, not hate and distrust. And Dr. King, he was also a Republican. But you know, it's not the name of the political party you belong to but the message behind the name, the belief system that drives the message, and the actions that the party takes to support or damage the nation. Today, the parties are diametrically opposed to each other, and the sins of the past are now visiting our country and threatening everything that we believe in, everything that our founding fathers fought for. You know, I've talked about this before. The rhetoric of our public discourse has really reached record lows. The explosion of social media outlets that enable people with access to grind to let loose with the worst invectives and insults and awful language and outrageous lies. And there is no check and no balance on what they say or how they say it. We can't, it seems, have serious conversation anymore about the issues that really matter without dissolving into a string of four-letter words and name-calling and accusations of the worst kind. We have lost our ability to discuss the issues calmly and rationally, and that is an enormous loss for all of us. The chaos on our streets is, I think, the direct result of this loss. I'm planning to discuss this more on another show because I think it's important and you know what? It's coming closer to home every day. The riots that we're witnessing on our city streets today are criminal 
and they are destroying our nation. They're tearing it apart. There's nothing noble or praiseworthy about demolishing works of art or the livelihood of others in the name of anything. There's nothing honorable or constructive to be gained by venting one's rage on cities and buildings and on the property of other people or the people themselves. That is not a right that anyone has, and it is nothing that will build this nation or bind its wounds. Now, after the break, I'm going to continue this discussion because in today's world, there is nothing more important, not for Americans, than fixing some of the really serious things that are wrong with our country today. So stay tuned. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. What happened in Seattle is an example of what happens when anarchy takes over and the elected leaders do nothing to stop it. The infrastructure of a normal free society falls apart. Law and order, that's the first thing to disappear. Attacks on the small businesses in the autonomous zone, as it's called, happened because they were the least able to defend themselves. And there was nobody to defend them because the police were banned. With all the blessings of the mayor and the governor, and 911 calls went unanswered, so crime spiked. People got hurt. Lives got destroyed and worse. And when the supply chains were interrupted, when, when deliveries could no longer be made or even arranged, and when the small stores that used to sell food were boarded up, then food became scarce and the people who couldn't escape the zone started to go hungry. Then someone stepped up and put out a call for donations, they called it. In this case, for food and cigarettes and guns. Seattle's autonomous zone ended up looking like a war zone because it was one. The tragedy of what is happening in America is that elected officials, all of whom are Democrats in this case, have supported these riots. They have done nothing to stop them. They have stood aside while rioters looted and burned and innocent people watched their life's work go up in smoke. We saw it in New York. We saw it in Seattle. We've seen it in many cities around the country, and the mayors and city councils enabled the rioters and looters to continue to hurt their own constituents, the people who voted them into office. It's insane. The rioters succeeded because the elected officials in states like Minnesota, Washington, Oregon, California, New York, and Illinois refused to stop them. 
These riots follow a classic Marxist anarchist playbook in which mobs of people are mobilized to create what looks like spontaneous reactions to an event that generates news and anger. And the rioters and looters are recruited and trained to destroy and loot, to target authority like the police, and then historical symbols like the statues, and then religion like the latest attacks on white Jesus, and then direct attacks on the government. I say enough is enough. It's time to put an end to this mayhem and the wanton destruction of our cities and the disrespect of our history. Whatever real and pressing social problems need to be addressed will meet with far greater success in a setting where law and order exists and calmer heads will be able to prevail. And calmer heads are exactly what we need right now. Defunding the police, setting up lawless zones, destroying private property and the lives of others, these aren't solutions to anything. They are, in fact, creating new problems, bigger problems, and they won't solve the old ones. The insurrections of anarchists and Marxists have no place in America. The vandals and agitators will never solve the problems they pretend to address. They will only make them worse because the hate that these thugs will generate will be much worse than the ones they say they are fighting. Their mission is to destroy America, and if we let them continue, they will destroy us. That, my friends, is the point, and that's their plan. If we give in to their demands, the fabric of our society will collapse. If we defund our police, our streets will become the war zones, and no one will be safe. If we tear down the symbols of our history, we will have no future because we have no past. And if we fail to marshal the courage to fight this with all the power of our mighty country, we will lose it altogether. We are the United States of America, and the outcome of this battle will decide our future for generations. We were never intended to be a socialist nation or a fascist nation or a Marxist nation. We were meant to be a democratic republic, a champion of individual freedom and responsibility and a light to the world. So we cannot accept the chaos and violence on our streets or the cancellation of our history. We cannot allow ourselves to be silenced. We must fight back for the country we love and the liberty we cherish. It is time, my friends, to take this country, our country, back. The 4th of July 2020 was a new starting point for reclaiming America from the vandals, and it was headlined by President Trump at Mount Rushmore in South Dakota. He said it quite plainly. Our founders, he said, launched not only a revolution in government, but a revolution in the spirit of justice, equality, liberty, and prosperity. No nation has done more to advance the human condition than the United States of America, and no people have done more to promote human progress than the citizens of our great nation. And yet, he continued, as we meet here tonight, there is a growing danger that threatens every blessing that our ancestors fought so hard for, 
Our nation is witnessing a merciless campaign to wipe out our history, defame our heroes, erase our values, and indoctrinate our children. And he went on to say, Against every law of society and nature, our children are taught in school to hate their own country and to believe that the men and women who built it were not heroes, but they were villains. We must demand that our children are taught once again to see America as did Reverend Martin Luther King when he said that the founders had signed a promissory note to every future generation. He saw that the mission of justice required us to fully embrace our founding ideals. He called on his fellow citizens not to rip down their heritage, but to live up to their heritage. The president finished by saying, My fellow Americans, it is time to speak up loudly and strongly and powerfully and defend the integrity of our country. Here, tonight, before the eyes of our forefathers, Americans declare again, as we did 244 years ago, that we will not be tyrannized, we will not be demeaned, and we will not be intimidated by bad, evil people. It will not happen. We will proclaim the ideals of the Declaration of Independence, and we will never surrender the spirit or the courage or the cause of July 4th, 1776. Upon this ground, we will stand firm and unwavering in the face of lies meant to divide us, demoralize us, and diminish us. We will show that the story of America unites us, inspires us, includes us all, and makes everyone free. This speech at the foot of Mount Rushmore on the evening before July 4th, 2020, will probably go down in the history of his presidency as his best speech ever. And it will set the stage for America's return to her heritage in the coming months and years. Will this 4th of July be a turning point in our nation's war against anarchy and Marxism and socialism and lawlessness? Have we had enough yet? It's hard to tell. Too early. But I can say this. The people of America are getting tired of the anarchy and the war against authority, against the police. Can this be the beginning of America's rising up against those who would destroy us? It should be. It should be a beginning of a response to the failed education of our children in government schools and an opening for a better system that includes school choice. The curricula of our schools must return to educating our children instead of brainwashing them. The president has set the stage. He has opened the door to a new beginning, one we've been talking about for a long time. Our nation is under siege, and now, as I said before, it is time to take our country back. It starts at the local level, at the ballot box, and it calls for men and women who believe in the founding principles that made this country great. To leave the politics behind and join forces to fight the anarchists and the Marxists and the socialists who are employing all their power and money to destroy what we love. 
It also calls for Americans who believe in the principles that were codified in our Constitution and the Bill of Rights and the 17 other amendments that make up the whole to get involved, to run for office and challenge the status quo. And if you can't run for office, support a candidate who can. Use the Internet. Get your message out. Get involved. This is just the beginning and the insurrection is on. The left has laid down the gauntlet and President Trump has picked it up and engaged. And as he said, it is time to speak up loudly and strongly and powerfully and defend the integrity of our country. And it is up to us, to you and me and everyone who listens to America Out Loud and all the other Americans who believe as we do that the history of America is one of the greatest chapters in the history of the world. America must not be allowed to fall to the tyrants of modern history. It is our history, and we can choose to make it exceptional and not allow it to be destroyed. Breaking away from everything we've been talking about, here are a few short takes on some of the weird stories of the week. According to reports, Susan Rice is being seriously considered by Biden's puppeteers to be his vice presidential pick. We've been hearing about Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, and even Democrat Senator Tammy Duckworth of Illinois, who says that she's open to tearing down statues of George Washington, and Stacey Abrams, who declared herself the winner of the governor's race in Georgia, even though she lost by 54,000 votes. But Susan Rice? Isn't she the one who lied to the American people in the days after Benghazi? Isn't she the one who went on three different Sunday morning interview shows to tell us that the murders in Benghazi were the result of a spontaneous crowd who were protesting an anti-Muslim video produced by some never-heard-of-before guy in California? That it wasn't a terrorist attack? Why should we want her to be our vice president? And with declining Joe Biden in the Oval Office, she could well become our president. I don't think so. But these are crazy times. You just can't make this stuff up. And then there's Lori Lightfoot, mayor of Chicago. She's not in the running for vice president, at least I hope not. She says, though, that the reason that there are so many shootings in Chicago is that there are, quote, too many guns on the street, unquote. You think? But it all comes back to the management of the city, and it stops at the mayor's office. Or take this story. You probably heard it already, but it's such a good story, I can't resist telling it. Clara Janover recently graduated from Harvard, and she went right from the classroom into a cushy job at Deloitte Consultants. She apparently had the smarts to get into Harvard, and then to get hired by the prestigious global consulting firm. But somehow, she just couldn't make that connection between her job and her personal life, or understand that what she did in public reflected on her new employer. And she just couldn't stay off TikTok. So she posted this, quote, The next person who has the sheer nerve, the sheer entitled caucosity to say all lives matter, I'ma stab you. I'ma stab you. And while you're struggling and bleeding out, I'ma show you my paper cut and say, my cut matters too, unquote. And as she talked, 
she, remember this is a video, she acted out the stabbing, getting close to the camera every time she jabbed her imaginary knife. She later said she was joking, but in the video, ah, she looked angry and frankly psychotic. What happened next was completely predictable. She got fired, and her reaction was typical of the snowflakes that we have raised. What did she do? Why, she posted a new video, of course. You cannot make this stuff up. You just can't. You just can't. She was crying and whining about how hard she had worked to get that job and how important it was to her. Not important enough, though, to keep her private, violent thoughts to herself. Her underlying implication was it wasn't fair. Remember what I said before about fair wasn't one of those words you were like to hear very often in the real world? She didn't take responsibility for doing something incredibly stupid. Instead, she said that she knew that this was what Trump supporters wanted. And like the snowflake that she is, she blamed them for demanding that she be fired from this job. She complained about the violent language and the responses that she got from the conservatives, but she didn't bother to justify the violent language and images that she herself used in her own video. This hypocrisy is too much for me. She just couldn't take responsibility for the real cause of her firing, which was her own inability to understand cause and effect in the real world. It's a head shaker. And it's typical of all the snowflakes who are out there carrying signs and shouting slogans and who get angry when the people whose neighborhoods they invade want them to stop. In the end, it's all about them and what they are fighting for that trumps all other issues, including the safety of others and even their own safety. Which brings me to one last story. Last week, about two dozen Black Lives Matter demonstrators showed up at a company where Iowa's governor, Kim Reynolds, was going to be having a meeting. They were there to demonstrate, and their signs were far from friendly. One sign said flatly, quote, blank Kim Reynolds, unquote. I can't say that first word on the air, but it begins with F. That's friendly, no? Inviting a chatty conversation with the governor? <laughs> I don't think so. Anyway, the demonstrators weren't allowed in, but they did stand in the driveway and waited for the governor to come out, which she did. She got into her car and began to leave. One of the demonstrators, Jalen Cable, an organizer for the Des Moines branch of Black Lives Matter, decided to block her car in order to force her to talk to him. Only she didn't. The car kept coming, and Jalen didn't move. He later told the Des Moines Register, quote, The SUV that Governor Reynolds was driving in drove right up to me. I was standing right in front of the car, and I just stood there. I was like, I'm going to stand here. Surely the driver of the governor is not going to hit me with her car. I was wrong. He claims that he was hoping that she would roll down her window and talk to him. But what he was doing was clearly confrontational, not friendly. And she certainly did not have to engage with antagonists. So she didn't stop to chat, and Jalen was shocked. Poor Snowflake. He just couldn't seem to make the connection between his singularly unfriendly act of obstructing the car with his body and the governor's refusal to give him the time of day. She wasn't having any of it. He wasn't injured. The only thing that got hurt were his feelings. Poor Snowflake. Thank you for joining me today on the news magazine on the America Out Loud Network. I'm Alana Friedman, and this has been 
The Friedman Report. 